When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So there's this woman. Okay, welcome to After the Deluge. I'm Justin Cox, and today I'm joined by Ryan Page. Ryan, say hi. Uh, Hello, everyone. Thank you for having me, Justin. Big fan of the pod. So Ryan Page and I play in a band together called Bad Dads, and we made a podcast together called Beatles vs. Stones year by year. That's his uh, resume. I'll I'll stand by that resume. Stand by that resume. All right, what we're going to do today, I'm not, you know, I didn't record an intro for this one. We're we're in right now, the mic is hot, and we're doing this. Um, what this is, is sometime, maybe like six months ago, when I was starting to make this podcast, I realized like, hmm, all five songs at the top of the Bright Eyes Spotify like page are from I'm Wide Awake, It's Morning, which on its face doesn't sound surprising. That's the most popular Bright Eyes album. We get it. Like, I get that. But then like, I kind of like, looked around and I was focusing on those, on those early albums. And I know my favorite album is lifted. And I have a friend whose favorite album is fevered and fevers and mirrors. I even have a friend whose favorite album is letting off the happiness. And it just kind of was like, okay, sure. Maybe it's the most popular, but as I looked around at other bands, it, it wasn't the case. Like even like third eye blind, let's say third eye blind is a band from the nineties that had like six, gigantic singles off of one album and no other album ever even remotely as popular as that anybody who says that their favorite third eye blind album is anything but that album from the 90s is they either don't exist or they're weird or i don't i don't you know they you you can like what you like all of it it's just to say (laughs) that this is rare and weird and like i continued to look around i started texting ryan and my friend john about this and like it was really hard to find examples of this, right, Ryan? Well, we, when you first brought it up, I was excited because I was like, oh, this is a chance to do a little deep dive. And I feel like, you know, first of all, we should acknowledge that the Spotify top five is kind of gamey as it's far got, as it's got algorithm stuff going on. There's algorithm stuff. It's not always just a list of the top five most played songs. Like I just looked at the Smiths top five and there's a song in the top five that has like a hundred, literally a hundred million less listens to number eight or something like that. So, you know, you have to take it with a bit of a grain of salt, but originally when we started talking about this, the, the context was sort of, this is not this person's first album, their second album, their third album. This is, you know, a hundred percent mid career album that has this sort of uh, total grip on the general public, the general listeners of this artist. Can you find anyone else with an album later in their discography with that kind of presence and hold? And what we found out is we, we couldn't find an artist that had an album like that hardly at any point in their career, whether it was their... First album, I'll give an example of when you first brought this up to me. Third Eye Blind, that's a great example. 
Um, my first thought was uh, Paranoid by Black Sabbath, because that's my mm-hmm. I, I know they have other hit songs, but just, that was the first one that popped into my my brain. Just also, again, their second album. It, it's no, it, it has two or three in the top 10. And that's it, because they have lots of other hit songs. And Bright Eyes has a lot of other great popular songs that somehow this album is monumentally uh at the top of the rankings i'm glad you pointed out it's this isn't raw numbers but it's kind of working towards like aiming toward popularity you know like i think it factors in like oh this song is new and really hot right now or whatever so this this record is not platinum this record is gold with a little over 500,000 copies sold probably more than that now because this is a few years ago that that number is there but like this record is big and it's big especially if you think about it as an indie artist from saddle creek records at this time but it's not that big you know first day of my life is quite big in a way that's kind of beyond we talked about that on the last episode but like this record is not that huge and yet I think it, it it really gets into and it starts an interesting discussion about like what Bright Eyes is for people. And so um, like you, I would say that Lifted is my favorite record of, of Bright Eyes. Um, but is that my favorite record? Th- that's my favorite record because it's a combination of my personal experiences and things and the time that I listened to it. Uh, and so I... I want to add my piece like a, a lot of your other guests have added which is like i was quite literally a teenager in my mid-teens as i'm discovering connor oberst and bright eyes and consuming this extremely dark music like if they're um you know i feel like a lot of you your guests have brought to the fore some of these sort of brighter moments in these albums and these songs i was not hearing those <laughs> when i was consuming this as a teenager and the point being is that when i was thinking about this i i, I kept coming back to this thought of like if i had never heard bright eyes and a friend of mine or maybe you making this podcast was like yeah you should check out this band and someone like handed me lifted as a 35 year old man I don't know that I would like it if if just like now in the context of my life and I, I'm not trying to feel sad all the time. I'm not trying. I got I, I got good stuff going on. And I think Lifted lets people uh, embrace the songwriting of Connor, the musicianship, his voice and all of that stuff in, in a way without some of that uh, baggage of the earlier stuff. You mean I'm Wide Awake does that? Did I say Lifted? Yeah, yeah. That's what I meant. Yeah, no, completely. I'm Wide Awake It's Morning is that. You're you're right. And it's got, if I heard Lifted now for the first time and had never heard it before, it's a it's a maybe and maybe some songs. If I heard Fevers and Mirrors now and never heard it before, it's just a no. You know, like mm-hmm. it's, and so I don't know. So here's, here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk we're going to run through some other bands and artists. I, I like noted some, we've kind of texted each other occasionally as we've like looked for some artists that approximate approximates this. And and what that means is like, if you're one artist that has one album, like the postal service who have all the top five of their Spotify songs are from that one postal service album. That's sure. That's all of them. But like, it's kind of different. Like, Bright Eyes, you could easily find someone whose favorite record 
is fevers and mirrors lifted or I'm wide awake. It's morning. Like probably I'd put those probably at the top of it. And then there's a tier just below that where the, of like kind of real head type people, t- this tends to be like letting off the happiness and digital ash into digital urn, like letting off the happiness. You got to have been there really early. And that, that means to you and digital ash and digital urn is kind of like the, the like cool, cool cousin to I'm wide awake. It's morning that came out at that same time. And then honestly, I think there's a whole contingent for Casadega too. Do you think there's a, a, a sizable, I mean, I think the numbers maybe bear this out, but do you think there's a sizable portion of, of people that have literally only heard it's I'm wide awake this morning and haven't even heard any other bright eyes album period. I think there's no doubt about it. And that's the only, that's the only thing that explains that album dominating the whole top of it, it has to be. Uh, what I, I list all those off because I think that like, Sure, one is clearly the most popular out of, out of all of them, but Bright Eyes isn't a band that just has one popular album. They they have these like right. uh, these albums, Fevers and Mirrors was a big deal that kind of takes an indie record out of something and becomes like a cult thing. Lifted is a huge deal and kind of really takes him up like like he becomes a real thing. I'm wide awake mm-hmm. this morning is him delivering on that thing. All of those were kind of like events, you know? And then Casadega is a, is a follow-up to I'm wide awake this morning. That's big and gets a lot of coverage too. Like it's not one Hootie and the Blowfish album. No, it didn't feel at the time that, 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 that album was like his big break. Like, oh, this is breakout moment. I'm sure it was his breakout into the mainstream, but you know, if you were a suburban kid who liked music, you were aware of Bright Eyes before that album came out. Yeah, if you're if you're into this stuff, you're aware of it and you're into it. If at that point, what it is, I mean, what it is is like it's like the kind of thing where like the Grammys take notice and the uh, oh Emily Harris is on this. Oh, the like he he's not just moaning and squealing and shit, you know. But all right, so let's 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 go let's go forward on this. Um, one thing I'm glad you said the thing about the algorithm, one thing that's true right now, and this is like a good sign of, of things being kind of in what way things are fucked up. I can't exactly say, but this is like a distribution of wealth type problem. But right now, Taylor Swift's page is not only the top five, but the top 10 on hers are all from this new album that came out in the last week and a half ago. And so like, those are, those are definitely not the most played of all of them, but like, it's also occupies all 10 slots on the Billboard 200 right now. Whoa, all top 10. Okay. One album has all of them. So that's like a behemoth. That Those songs that came out a week and a half ago have already been listened to more than a lot of these Bright Eyes songs that we're talking about in that. Like, it's pretty wild. Damn. I mean, I think that just speaks to our sort of lack of monoculture that... I didn't even know Taylor Swift had a new album. <laughs> <laughs> you, if, if this was 1985... And there was an album that had the 10 top songs in America. Every single person in America would know about it. I, I, didn't, I didn't even know she had a new album. So that that is very interesting. She does have a new album and it's boring. I pay, I pay, I pay, I like that's Taylor the name Swift. of the album or that's your critique of it. That's my critique of it. Yeah. That sounds like the name of a Taylor Swift album. Yeah, come buy my new is. album. Boring. <laughs> That'll come. Uh, it's called Midnight's. Yeah, that's pretty close. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So bands, just real quick, ones that I thought might like be might accomplish this this thing, like Fleetwood Mac. I thought maybe Rumors would dominate the full yeah, yeah. full thing, and it's not. There's three from Rumors, and then there's like Landslide and one from the '80s. 
I I weirdly thought the strokes, like we've been talking about white stripes and the strokes in that period. I weirdly thought it might be true with the strokes. The strokes have one song from Is This It on it. The strokes actually do the yeah. opposite thing. It's five separate records, five songs from five separate records, which is crazy to me because I've listened to the one record so much and the second record a lot, but not nearly as much and everything else very minimally. That is, that is bizarre. Uh, Wilco, there's only one song from Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. Let's do a little like quick Saddle Creek run through. Cursive has three songs from The Ugly Organ. The Faint has three songs from Wet From Birth. Rilo Kylie, three songs from Execution of All Things. And then two others kind of scattered. Like, I think that should drive home that like, those are those bands' big albums, you know? I, the, the Faint, Wet From Birth is my second favorite of theirs, but I could see it being their biggest. But like, it's it's a rare, weird thing. Let's start with this one because I think it's fun. Because, all right, so so four out of five, Pearl Jam has four out of five. What album do you think that is? And what's And then let's think about what, fills out the five so this is a bad one for me because i am not that knowledgeable of pearl jam is it 10 that would be my guess 10 the biggest one the thing but but the answer to this question i think is actually illuminating and illuminates how like it's another reason that a thing like this is kind of odd that it's kind of it's another reason that it's kind of hard to just have all five be from the same record is that their fifth one is Last Kiss, the cover of the 50s song. They're like, we were out on a date in our in our daddy's car. We were out on a date in my daddy's car. And then the next one is Yellow Ledbetter, also not on an album. But like, especially now, it's easy to have like a song show up in a movie or a song do right. something, not a song do something on TikTok or whatever. Like some weird thing that's like, suddenly this exists outside your ecosystem in a way that takes on some life and like you'll see that on a lot of these things pages honestly that's surprising i would have not i would probably pearl jam would have been far down my list of bands that i would have guessed had an almost complete top five because they they had a lot of really popular albums and deep cut songs that people like and all that stuff I knew 10 was would be like the kind of like iconic biggest one because it's like the product of that like never mind moment. But like I kind of thought their first three records were all kind of like equally. I mean, that's another I mean, since we're on like that was another one that I was pretty sure would have been met the the criteria is like never mind is this, you know, legendary sort of hit that we all I mean, we're fans of Nirvana. You know that they have other good songs from those other albums that people like, but it's like, yeah, it's not. Never mind. Like that album was insane, and I don't, you know, I think it has, you know, two in the top five or something Sweet. like it's, that. Yeah, I had that. It's same so thought. hard. Like I, 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 I'm still a little baffled that we couldn't find more examples of this. Yeah, and never mind. And like Nirvana has three studio albums a live album and like a b-sides album there's only five Mm. there and this is literally one of the biggest and most important albums in the world and it's not it doesn't do that thing some other four four out of five ones i'll breeze through moby very big moby (laughs) record andrew wk who as far as i'm concerned has Uh, one record i think what happens is you make one big record and something that follows it like someone someone's that satisfy mm. this thing is like they're drafting off of like the success of the previous one mm-hmm. 
this is what I, I should like coin this as on this podcast specifically, because it will mean nothing to anybody else, but like the holdout, the holdout effect. Jackson Brown makes Running on Empty, huge, great album, and then makes Holdout, not a great album. That's his only number one record. It's it's only his only number one record because of what Running on Empty did. Nothing to do right. with it. Right. Yeah, you get that follow-up. I mean, Jackson Brown is a good example, actually, of someone 10 years into their career, like really experiencing their full blossom of their success. But that just doesn't happen very much, really. Like, when... <laughs> I used to argue music with people. It was, there was always a debate of like, okay, what's, what's generally the, a band's best album It's like the first albums are best second albums or third albums. And they all kind of have like a unique flavor of like your first album is raw and like captures your just sort of like immature sound and it's bass form. And then your second album is like overproduced but maybe your songwriting's gotten better. And, and there's just an argument for all three of those. And this is in a totally different category. What's funny is I, I like I like what you're saying there. Like I have a soft spot for second albums and I don't know why. And I think we talked a lot about this on Beatles and Stones. I think I also have a soft spot for track twos. I think we talked a lot about that. I don't know what's happening there. I, I mean, I, I don't know how many people like, but the Stooges were always like the quintessential like example of what I just said, which is like, those three albums and then on the third album they like got it together like perfected their sound and that's sort of their most popular or maybe maybe not i I think there's it's not not dominating their top five i checked it's not yeah yeah i think there's the version where you 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 blow up on arrival and then the version where you take that trajectory you just described Mm -hmm. like you you start making albums and get where you're gonna get rancid has all has four out of five um they have one late career song in there i i'm thinking of this not only as like specifically late career ones i'm just i'm I'm allowing the possibility of any album mm-hmm. as long as it's as long as they made more yeah. records you know as long as they right. made more records but like another one alanis morissette that alanis morissette record is gigantic the bright eyes uh-huh. record is like the bright eyes has like 10 records and there is like that record, the one record that's his most popular sold 500,000. Alanis Morissette has half that amount of records and for all intents and purposes for most people has one record and it doesn't, (laughs) that jagged little pill does not round out that top five. That's the song. Thank you from the next record, which is big too. But like that, that record had plenty of singles (laughs) to do it. Like, Boston. Boston had a record in the 70s that is stacked with hits that is yep. eight, it's just absolutely stacked and a song called Amanda from their next album is in it. Third Eye Blind. Song called Never Let You Go from the next album comes into it. <laughs> that's, but that's what also like okay so people love I'm Wide Awake This Morning as they should but it's not like a singles album. It's not like an oh. album that's like a you know they're memorable songs, but they're not like uh, pop sugar songs that you know you're just instantly taking taking getting stuck in your head necessarily all day. And so, I guess the 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 question that I always had, or the question that raises for me, is like. Do we think that this was just like this random sort of 
uh, confluence of, of songwriting and ability and time and space that led to this unique recording and record that so many people love? Or do we think that Connor can just essentially do this anytime he chooses and has like chosen not to? Oh, I, I believe that. Like, I think it's like a constant. Uh, I think he can write bowl of oranges and first day of my life. I mean, and what you just described about that record is it is not loaded with a bunch of like songs aiming for pop radio. Only first day of my life is that first day of my life feels that way. It's, it's like mm. a immediate little piece of candy and is nice, mm-hmm. but the, yeah, no, I think he, I think he's not trying to, I think actually what it says is that they seem to me because of like the time period I'm from and what they meant to me in that moment, like they are a, a big thing like as far as like 2000s indie music or if you want if someone wants to say emo music or or any of that they're like kind of like a pillar band in that and t- they mm-hmm. seem that way to me they they must be much smaller and more niche than that so to to the point that this one thing that penetrated beyond being that is the thing that has this outsized kind of popularity and like they were at this like when we were young festival over over the last weekend in vegas or, or whatever and and apparently it was like <laughs> i think it was like he, he they he didn't cater the set at all to try to make it interesting for people who were there for like my chemical romance and stuff uh-huh. it just was the set a bunch of, of it was all the just whatever songs they wanted to play it wasn't like the let's play the one for the emo festival kids ones but that there was this wide sentiment of who the fuck is bright eyes like that just wow. like people just didn't just don't know who bright eyes is so that's that's like which kind of makes sense i think like it doesn't make sense to me based on my own personal experience but if you think about it as like especially if you think about it in the terms of emo like the trajectory of something that eventually became my Chem- chemical romance and fallout boy and these things that were like full-on hot topic things you know talking about this album talking about bright eyes it it involves a lot of me thinking about myself as a younger person and thinking of myself as a younger consumer of of, uh, music and as you know a known and established contrarian if you've listened to any (laughs) of our podcasts which believe it or not i'm much much less so now than i was as a younger person and so there i that that's just bizarre to me because i feel like when I before this album and and I was a fan of Bright Eyes before it came out and it would have been the kind of band that was sort of like yeah you you might not know about this but like if you do know about it you're cool you know like mm-hmm. oh you know you like Bright Eyes cool like yeah like you're yeah okay and then this album just immediately blows that up like that is 100% gone it's 100% mainstream and all of a sudden that person that you're like, oh, you like bright eyes. It's not the weirdo kid in the zip up hoodie. Now it's like the indie girl in a flower dress. Yeah. And I don't know what that means. And and the thing is, is like, so I think what I think is interesting is listening to your podcast, listening to your guests, talk about these other albums, but it it's almost like the shadow that sort of state, like I feel like it's come up in maybe every episode <laughs> in some way or form, and not in a bad way. I'm not complaining. Is like there's a part of me that wants to be, and maybe even at the time was more like this: like this album sucks. 
right? Like it's too popular, too many people like it. The songs are too good. They're too catchy. <laughs> and and I think it's interesting that just about every guest, there's this sort of note of like, yeah, well, yeah, I like that one. Like <laughs> they kind of want to be like that too. There's something very uncool in a way of liking this album, but it's so good that I can't sit here and be like, ah, that, that album actually sucks. You know what? Like it secretly sucks. And that's why it's, it's like, no, it's, it's actually really great. And that's why it's such a, it's like, is this just the mainstream recognizing truly great music? I don't know how to square that. I think it is some kind of like indie and then like quote unquote hipster sensibility that we can all be prone to. And, but, but someone who's really into this band is probably falls under the umbrella of someone who can, who can do this is like not wanting to, to pick the obvious thing, not wanting to like, but it's, but it's not, it's not the version. There's a version of it where it's like horrible, right? Like they sold out or whatever. Mm. And I think that there's, there's not a feeling of that around this, but there is a feeling of like, I'm not going to pick the one I'm not that that's not my, that's not my favorite. Like whatever that signifies, whether you're actively thinking about what that signifies, I think that there's like some like, God damn, you better believe it's good. And I really appreciated the, the Emily, the guest I had on, who was like, that's my favorite. I'm sorry. That's, that's it. Can't, can't give it up. I do want to have the, the, the sellout conversation a little bit, because I think in 2022 going on 23, We've all come to the agreement that there's basically selling, having this conversation is not that interesting anymore. It's basically impossible to be considered a sort of sellout unless you really like nakedly just completely abandon some sort of ideals that you like set out for yourself and then throw them to the wind. But like sell your song to like Raytheon or something for. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> if Raytheon's printing your lyrics on the side of a Sidewinder missile or something. Yeah, yeah. Like, okay, we'll call that. But otherwise it's generally, you know, unless you're at the very tippy top of like the music industry, then like if you're making music as a musician and you're getting paid to do that, like good for you, like however you got to do it, do it. But all that being said, I, I, can't sit here and say like there was not a conscious effort to pivot to something more mainstream with this This, record oh fuck yeah there was and actually i appreciated the way michael tedder said that on the last one that it was like a a knowing like i've got these connections i might flex on some of this i might have emily harris come here i'm gonna have the guy from my morning jacket come here i'm gonna i'm gonna make a i'm gonna make a low-key kind of live to tape 70s record but like only because you know the songs you got there. You know you're, you're yeah. given 10 tight, immaculate songs that are are that. Because, like, I've been listening to Casadega. That's going to be the next conversation. That ain't that. That's that's deliberately not doing mm-hmm. that, you know? Like, he knew, you're right, you're, you're right. And, like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to have the intro be six minutes of bullshit. And I don't right. say bullshit derisively. Just, I like that those are there. But I'm going to. I'm going to just get to it and give people these songs. You're, you're totally right. Like this is, but that's, that's the point. I mean, you really said it well of like, it's not like it's some easy thing to do to just say like, yeah, I'm going to have a bunch of like, it's the fruition of this work that he's done from when he's 18 years old and younger of working on his songwriting craft and thinking about music. And so in that way, 
it does feel extremely organic to, to, to come out with something like this. But I also, I, I roll my eyes a little like, well, it's just a, it's an experiment too. Just like all of our, I was like, no, you guys yeah. knew what you had here. Um, at least that's, that's my take I, on it. I, I strongly agree with that and think that the, I think that the existence of digital ash and digital learn is beautiful. And I think digital ash is awesome, but I, I think there's a knowing like, let's go ahead and put out this, let's go out, put out this, this weirder one, this different one too, on the same day, which is cool and crazy and ambitious and everything. But like now suddenly your very accessible record exists on a day when two records released. And one of them's like this, this, more experimental thing you know it's not in the way of the record you made but it's also there it's part of it it's a big part of it that's not a common thing i actually don't have precedent for just two albums on the same day that are unrelated from each other yeah i mean that's some radiohead type stuff i think another thing too that we have to, an observation that i have that i think can go towards some explaining the spotify thing because you know that's not a record of who's listening to what bright eye song today how many people listen to these songs today it's over time and i think when you look back on this era of music and then also on like the bright eyes music this album has a real timeless quality to it it does not feel dated to that specific era in a way that a lot of other music does and in a way that again I can't listen to fevers and mirrors without, uh, You're right, you know, yeah. being in that era, both for myself, for the, the country politically, whatever, not that, it, you know, it's a super political album, but you know what I mean? And this album, it just kind of exists outside of all of that. That's, I think that's a great point that that's true of like, if you think about it, what would sound more fucking dated right now than listening to the Mumford and Sons record? Not your fault, where he's hitting the kick drum on the like third beat or whatever saying like i really fucked it up this time and knowing that like six other bands did the same thing right around that same time that shit is a moment that you just mm -hmm. picture people in like fedoras and vests and stuff that this is like this kind of is like two years before that like but it's 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 getting at the some whatever same like folk folk spirit that that scene went and did mm -hmm. and turned and made kind of clownish and i think just, those just people had endless. to have been inspired by this i think so i do i do think so just the older i get the more i am amazed at people's lack of perspective at the transient nature of like fashion and i mean that both like literal fashion and like musical fashion and fads where you look at something and you're like you know this won't be popular three years from now and people seem to totally live within this instant of just be like this is the best thing ever this will be the best thing ever forever and ever and when you have the the ability to have you know 17 years now of like looking back and be like okay this one stuck i mean i think those other bright eyes records did too for people that are are, are fans of that music but this one uh has a little bit of a different flavor in that way i mean i think there's something beautiful like all those first ones, it, it's just a person writing about the moment they're in, you know, and like they're, they're, they're pure, not trying to be anything other than that. And so that's always going to work in its way. And it's going to work better if you heard them at that age, you know, like, like you said, like 
if you just heard him for the first time now, you might be like, eh, I don't know about this. But if you were 19 or 17 and hearing that stuff, you're like, I'm feeling what you're, I'm feeling what you're giving to me, buddy. But then, but I'm wide awake. It's morning. It does like, it, it feels timeless. It has, you have this like sort of organic recording. The way I put it is it's the first time he purely just gets out of the way of the songs and it just is the songwriter. Yeah. He is, and it's just the songs and whatever accompaniment goes with the songs. And, and also probably the the way this moment all works out perfectly is that it's just the songs. He's out of the way of the songs and kind of, he's 25. He's not a kid anymore. You know, like, 22, you're still a kid. 25, I'd say you're not. If you are into getting a Bright Eyes zine, some extra content, or if you just want to support the creation of this show, go to patreon.com slash after the deluge. It's just one $5 tier, super simple, easy. Thank you for the support. Want to get more music history in your podcast feed? Check out our friends Brian and Murdoch over at Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories. Two longtime buddies and old rock radio castoffs connect weekly to discuss a different rumor or lingering question. What's real, what's not, and what's just rock and roll? Liam and Noel, Jagger and the Queen, The Weaker Thens, Nine Inch Nails, Kate Bush, they get into all that and so much more. Get a new story every Wednesday on Spotify, Apple, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Just search Rock and Roll Bedtime Stories. Well, and and what that makes me think of, and it, it does kind of take me back to Jackson Brown a little bit thinking about those guys as extremely successful young songwriters like maybe not successful popular musicians at a young age but anyone who's fans of these musicians can go back and find something that will blow you away that oh wow an 18 year old wrote this a 19 year old wrote this and i think this this album is the the vision of what I want from a songwriter, which is like, yeah, it makes perfect sense that you're 20. You're trying to learn how to write songs, write about yourself, like write a song. Like this is what happened to me. This is what happened to me this week. This is this relationship that deteriorated. And then by the time you get to 25, you're still writing a song about uh, something that happened to you, someone that you knew from your experience. But now that song is about me, the listener. Right, right, right. It's not about like, this is Connor. It's all of our stories and it it becomes removed from that. And that I think, you know, in the same way, those great Jackson Brown records in the seventies, like that, that, that has that quality. This record has that quality. It's really true. Yeah. I mean, he, he it's, it's even dr- addressing a specific moment of dysfunctional war and political strife without feeling tied to that moment, even. You know, like the songs that that gesture toward that, they're not they don't feel dated at all. Well, yeah, because we until recently we we're still <laughs> fighting a lot of those said good, wars. That's a good point. That's our um, that's still our war. <laughs> I have I have uh I have two late career ones. Okay, let's let's do it. So one kind of late career one is like five albums in. And they, this this one pisses me off because I love <laughs> I love their first record, but Arctic Monkeys um, have the record AM, which is kind of like their sort of groove, uh-huh. their kind of groove rock album. That it's like it's it's got it's I think it's like produced by the Queens of the Stone Age guy or something. It's got a good feel to it and everything, whatever. But it's four out of five songs are from that record AM, and that, 
and like the the first record had with like I bet you look good on the dance floor and just sounds like like some kind of spastic British uh coked up like frenzy. I love that record so much. Yeah. And then the only song that's actually not from that AM record is 505, which is from their second record. I don't and I don't know. That's crazy as someone who kind of lost track of their career. No songs from that first record. That's crazy. Isn't it? And then now now let's go extreme and this has 3 out of 5 only but it's just noteworthy as like kind of the the fucking put it in the rafters for a late career move is uh Santana Supernatural. Oh yeah. See that I would have guessed that would have been like you'd think it could get it, all five, but you're not you're not bumping out Oya Komova and Black Magic Woman. You're just not. Oh yeah, that's so. It's like you realize you quickly realize, but Smooth has them all dwarfed. And then I have to out. say one real quick too that just from the Bright Eyes perspective, I think the the highest ranking non Wide Awake song is lover i don't have to love and that also was astounding to me i could not believe that that was i can actually i i did that song was on the oc like it things things like that things like that happen that i just i would think more things like that would happen and i i loved i loved the the thing michael said on the last episode about like uh first day of my life just being ready to be picked up by some pop artist or sung on american idol it just absolutely could happen but that's true and it also made me sad it's it's like i know i'm not looking forward i know i know i know i know i do not need the kelly clarkson version of that song (laughs) good you're you're showing we're showing age if when we say american idol we're talking about kelly clarkson yeah she's hosting hosting daytime tv i can't help it that i consumed bright eyes as an actual teenager i know i feel you what you know, you know, a funny thing is that over this time, because I was like, I checked back on it every couple months, like, because we talked about this, like, probably early in summer. And I checked back, like, well, I say I checked back on the Spotify page. I didn't check back on it. I just made a podcast about Bright Eyes and went there often. Right. But a briefly, I can't remember which song it was, but briefly a song from, so like, they're putting out these, uh, like companion EPs, like re-recordings of old songs over, over like from the first one through now. And so it's like, they got people featured on them, things like that. One of the songs they put out for, um, from this record in the style of Digital Ash was like one time when I looked was number four, but it was still, still an I'm Wide Awake It's Morning song, you know, oh, like it was oh. not from it. It was still on a wide that awake this morning song. And they, but then it was gone a week later too. So it does. I don't know. Spotify, send us an email explaining your algorithm. People want to know. Yeah. I the thing is, I don't I don't know also what I would expect. I would see, I would expect Lover I Don't Have to Love. I would expect Bowl of Oranges. I would expect the song Four Winds. I don't know exactly what I expect, but I think that's also that's part of the story, whatever, of this this exercises that he didn't he had a string of really good albums prior to this one he did not have that hit song that like you could ask bright eyes fans and ask them what their favorite song was from fevers and mirrors or from you know lifted or from whatever and you you'll get a different answer from everyone there's not like well of course like you know that's my favorite song it's a good point. I mean, maybe that's maybe that's a little bit the deal. Is like it's 
oh, there are so many choices to be the popular one. Why is this one so outsized? But maybe it's like, it's like a split the vote situation to a certain degree. Yeah. Well, and they just don't have that. What was the third eye blind song you said? Never let you go. <laughs> they did not have that. I know. I mean, to, to get at what I was saying earlier about like the, maybe this band and this artist is more niche than, than I think of them as and when I say band and artist, like we say Bright Eyes and they are a band, especially at this point. But like you're thinking about Connor Oberst. Connor Oberst has a, like four solo records. Right. And actually more than that. He has like Connor Oberst and the Mystic Valley Band. Like Connor Oberst as an artist has a full slate of songs all on this same app that we're talking about. And I went to it to see like, what are his? What are his most popular ones? And the top. They also just have I'm wide awake this morning on his page. <laughs> no, you know what they are? This is no what they are. This is crazier. This is crazier. And this is like even more illuminating than that is he has a side project with Phoebe Bridgers called Better Oblivion Community Center. All five songs are that side project. So it's Connor Oberst right. is like that he's tagged as part of that. So it's like whatever Phoebe Bridgers is doing is gigantic compared to what this is. Maybe mm. that that has to factor in algorithmic stuff too. Like I should look at it right now, but like, well, and it's just it's impossible to know what these numbers mean. Like, really, like, what does a listen mean? What, like, how do I contextualize that? Once you start getting into these tens and hundreds of millions, it, that's just like completely meaningless to me. Where if you tell me something, someone sold ten million albums. I mean, I. I Ten million is is also very hard for me to comprehend, but I kind of got an idea of what that means from a cultural standpoint. Like that, you know, you're probably getting played on uh, popular radio across the country if you send ten million albums or you sell five million albums or whatever. And I just don't know what these listens mean. I don't know, you know, someone like <laughs> Taylor Swift having this crazy album release and all like. Are people just listening to nothing but that album all this week? And that's that. I, I don't understand. I think she's got she's got some freak fans who are probably just like playing it on loop without even listening just to like boost her numbers because they're like, yeah, you know, the game of fire. I've always I've always wanted to get attacked by Taylor Swift fans. So maybe that's what I'm going for here. Your fantasy? <laughs> I think they're uniquely crazy. I'll probably, <laughs> I'll probably cut that. I don't like the way that came out of my <laughs> All right, let's go. Let's go to some ones that are. Let's go to some ones that are all five. Let's start with ones that don't count. Postal Service doesn't count. Only one no. record, right? It's yeah, specifically, no. it is one record. Mm. Another band that's essentially one record is Operation Ivy. That's that's yeah. one record. It's all five. That's inter- those are both interesting to put together though because it's like I'd be interested to compare those numbers to the other bands. Right. Like what's the postal service numbers compared to Death Cab for Cutie? Oh, what does like Operation to... Ivy look like compared to, you know, Rancid's top one? Yeah. Rancid and yeah. So th- those are those are both interesting single album examples. Yeah. Actually, let me see what Death Cab for Cuties is. That's it's like a total mix. I'll follow you into yeah. the dark is number one, which you'd meet in Soul Meets Body is number three. And then some transatlanticism songs and then a new song. Which makes that's sense. A, that feels like how it would go to me. I don't know. That's another. I was just thinking about that album. Yeah, actually, both of those albums are pretty good. Like yeah. I still like those. And 
I just totally lost to the culture. Like, I can't imagine anyone listening to Soul Meets Body in 2022, but I can't imagine listening to I'm Wide Awake This Morning. What? I, I don't know why say, that is. You say you can't with, with, I'll find I mean, I just, zone, again, it goes back, but it you feels can dated. Yeah. It, it feels dated in a way. And maybe that goes back to what you guys were saying about Connor trying to make it feel like this mid 70s sort of, you know, West Coast. You want to, you want to leave your, Instagram handle so people can send you death cab fans can send you some DMs because I know I know they care. I want to be attacked by death cab <laughs> fans. <laughs> I know Brad has fans care, but I think death cab fans are really, really care. All right. So I already mentioned Hootie and the Blowfish. Hootie and the Blowfish has all five. Hootie and the Blowfish has like two or three more albums, but that one accomplishes what Alanis Morissette failed to accomplish, which is have your I think there's something very fun and interesting about not a one hit wonder, but a one album wonder. Like this shit is stacked as all hell. It's one Uh, moment and it is absolutely stacked. And, you know, Alanis really stacked that album, but Hootie stacked it harder. When you look at it through that lens, it almost that in that sense, it almost becomes a failure because you didn't have the never let me go. I just found another I just found another one that is like oh, yeah. for some reason thinking about Hootie and the Blowfish felt the exact same way, but it 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 lands in the same exact spot as the Blues Atlantis. Traveler. Ooh, I should look at them. It lands in the and you're close. But it lands in the same spot as Atlantis um and Third Eye Blind, which is live. So live uh, had the record Live throwing, really? They had the record throwing copper and then the follow-up album had the song The Dolphins Cry, which is a horrible, horrible song. But it made it. It cracked the top five. Uh, the placenta I... falls to the floor. I don't need that. I'm all good on that. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a fun one that I landed on that is, I don't know this band enough, but it's like, I bet there are real hardcore heads who would say this counts. But to me, it doesn't because I listen to them on this one day per year and really enjoy it. And I know this guy's like a genius in his own right, but I, I, I'm... I'm probably the reason for this being the top five. Oingo Boingo's uh, Dead Man's Party record that's like kind of adjacently Halloween themed. I listen to that every year when when I'm carving pumpkins with my kids. And I know he made like all these like movies and is like a MIDI genius, made the Simpsons theme like Danny Elfman. Uh, Yeah, yeah. And that Oingo Boingo has more than just that one. They got they got all five. He no, he went to high school with Kim from Sonic Youth. That's he was he went out with Kim from Sonic Youth. Rad, in high dang. School. Damn. In Fun high fact, school? From Kim's biography that I read a while ago. Wow, that's cool. I might be remembering all of that to you, but they knew each other. I can definitely confirm that. Well um they 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 have all five are from from their Halloween album. So I hope they're happy with that. I'm sure he's laughing all the way to the bank. Not that he needs that. So that gets through the ones that I think kind of sort of get there, but actually don't. But we found one that satisfies mm-hmm. it. So that one, you you say, who is it? The craziest thing about this one, which we didn't even find until very recently like you just said we've been talking about this since midsummer and been like nope can't find any can't find any and the the one that we found is the band parquet courts wide awake 
So the album is also uh, has the words wide awake in it. It's really crazy. For people who aren't familiar with Parquet Courts, which I feel like this album did, if their arc was happening in 2005, then I think they would be as well known as Connor Oberst and Bright Eyes is. But unfortunately, their most popular album ever came out in like 2019, 2018, something like that. Yeah. And where our cultural consciousness is totally fragmented. But their band that's been around since the early 2010s, they put out probably four or five albums before this one that was they were like indie darlings, all got good reviews on <laughs> Pitchfork, like you guys were talking about, and you know, so different mixed reviews and put out some challenging records too. Um, and and somehow were able to coalesce around this album and also very weirdly are like a favorite of Ellen and have been on the Ellen show Ellen DeGeneres? many times. Ellen DeGeneres did a lot. I mean, I'm not even joking right now that I think part of this album's success is that in the year that it came out, Ellen DeGeneres was like really standing for it and like put it on her like multiple songs from it on her like end of the year. This was back before everyone hated Ellen too. Um, I've always hated Ellen personally, (laughs) even before I knew she was a lesbian. No. Um, And so I think that that added a lot of, uh eyeballs to this indie record that i think there's there's definitely an argument that it's their best record you know like i don't know that it's i don't know it's clear in a way number one like indisputable but i definitely like it's it's really good But for for whatever reason, confluence of reasons, it it caught on and became something more than just like, oh, you got good reviews on Pitchfork and you're selling out like mid-sized ballrooms, you know, and on the East Coast. Now you're like doing national tours. And if a Pitchfork review or uh, a nice little Ellen endorsement like tips you off to them, this record kind of like I'm Wide Awake It's Morning is is gonna reward you it's nice you know like Mm -hmm. it's also not just like catering it's not like it's unique and interesting and really not like crazy crazy departure from the thing that they do which is kind of this thing you know they kind of do a thing Mm -hmm. i i I have a vivid memory of like playing this record like my favorite my favorite of theirs is light up gold and i remember reading about it and just like listening to it on a road trip, but I think I get the benefit in that case of being, I get the benefit in that case of being the person who heard fevers and mirrors when it came out or letting off the happiness. Like it's because I heard it then it's because I was like, this is new and interesting to me. This is, this is cool to me, but I will say that I like messed around with the few albums that came out between that and wide awake. And then listened to wide awake one time cleaning my garage shortly after moving to Orcas Island and was like, this is sweet. This is good. I like this a lot. I think it's it's a it's, it's weirdly a very similar arc um, in some ways because it does feel like a a maturation and a fruition of like 
I I also love Light Up Gold that that their first album. I think it's it's fantastic, and there's a maturity to this record that yeah, if you're working yourselves backward, I could see someone who listened to the to the the Wide Awake album first and being like, well, this this other album is good, but it's just like less so of these things that I like yeah. about this this other record, and so yeah, that's it's really fascinating, and it's also like. The, the Ellen piece of it is also kind of brings it back to the Bright Eyes record where it's like, well, what are you going to do? Be like, no, don't like this, Ellen. This album's good. You suck. Like, get good on her for like promoting good music. Like, isn't no, that yeah. what we like? Isn't that the what should happen? I I ain't faulting Ellen. I give a shit. No, she seems like a garbage human. I'm not. Being, I'm so. not going. I'm not going to her for my music recommendations. Are you wanting but... to be attacked by Ellen fans? Oh, God, <laughs> or Ellen herself? I'm just glad to just know very little about Ellen. One of the funniest. One of the, something that I absolutely loved was the um, damn Daniel. You remember the like damn Daniel back at it again with the white vans. She brought that kid on from like those YouTube videos. And like offered to give him a lifetime supply of vans and alumnus of this show, Claire Caracillo of Gawker posted, (laughs) this is really funny, saying as as Ellen went off the air, I'm just concerned with with damn Daniel and his friends and their supply of vans. Like, are they going to keep getting those vans? Like, is the lifetime supply of vans still in the pipeline? And now I think about that, too. You still thinking about that? I mean, still... I've been thinking about this whole podcast. <laughs> you know what's funny about the? I don't think I told you this, but the reason I landed on Parquet Court's page with this thought in mind was I don't remember what internet shit I was on. Um, might have been Reddit or I, I really don't know. It asked what someone's favorite parquet courts record was and i like clicked it to see the thread and like you and i just talked about two of the records but like many of them said human performance one or two like a couple might have said constant nausea like they said all different ones and i was like there's they're saying ones that are quite literally not the two that i've listened to the most that i like the most there i know there are people that really like sunbathing animal too that 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 has a, a sizable contingent of fans. It was and no that yeah that was on there they were all there and so then it was like oh let's go see I wonder what like is is their most popular and then it was this one and it was like oh shit that's okay that's the same thing that is that's yeah that's very it's exactly the same thing. It's almost like there's some mechanism that like catapulted these two bands into the mainstream. And Ellen, Ellen. we got to find out what Ellen thought about I'm Wide Awake It's Morning back then because she was around. I'm sure she loved it. Knowing Ellen like I do, I'm sure she loved it. I wa- I, I'm just curious like how much working backwards there is. Like do people find these records? And because that happens to me sometimes where you find a band you like. You're like, oh, I like this album. I listen to this album. And then I just never think to listen to any of their other records. Happens, definitely happens to me. Yeah. And one day, it's it's usually very frustrating when like three years later, you finally do listen to one. You're like, this is really good too. 
who would have guessed <laughs> that this album that I like this band also has other albums that I might like, but it's like those other earlier records, they don't get catapulted over the wall. Yeah, no, it's like what's going to make these things, especially the bright eyes ones, they all exist pre Spotify. So all they can do is make up for make up time. It's a good point. But that's also, I mean, that that's, that's also a weird juxtaposition about this is it's like, okay, the, the, parquet courts record that is a hundred percent streaming era record like i'm sure they didn't even press cds of that record i'm maybe they press like some vinyl pressings but like if you were going to listen to that record you're probably going to stream it on spotify maybe like buy it on apple music or something like that but that was not the case with with Bright Eyes. Like that was a hundred percent physical media era or rogue, rogue, rogue download type shit. Oh yeah, I mean, I was definitely rogue downloading. Yeah, it's some Bright way, Eyes. Yeah. Main way I heard it in your earlier episodes when you're talking about like these demos or these like rare recordings of Connor. It's like I've heard some of these songs because they like got added to some album I was downloading on LimeWire, and I just was like, "What is this? I don't." I don't know. I don't have the actual track listing to reference. I just downloaded all this stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Just a mess of shit. Man, when I Googled Bright Eyes and Ellen DeGeneres, I, I did it twice because I didn't trust the first one. The first one was James Corden investigates whether Connor Oberst and Milo Ventimiglia, that like alt-right guy, are the no, same. No, no, no. Milo, wait. Oh, oh wait, no. It... Milo Ventimiglia is the, the guy, guy from, from that 70s show, right? No. No, he's the guy from Gilmore well... Girls. <laughs> I was thinking Milo. Oh. Yan- I was thinking of Milo Yiannopoulos. I was thinking of uh, who's the guy from that '70s show? Wait, wait, wait! I got, I got uh, the guy that I'm. I'm think. I want to say Wilmer Valderrama. I didn't. I I was going to Google it and I didn't. <laughs> that's got to get you. <laughs> Milo, wait. What is the guy? Who's the James Corden is investigating? Milo that's the guy from Heroes, right? Maybe. Wasn't he on that show Heroes? I know he's on Gilmore Girls. Cause I remember seeing it and I was watch. I watched that shortly after my kid, whose name is Milo was born. And then also this guy, Milo Yiannopoulos, like alt-right dumbass. And I remember at that time being actually frightened that like this guy was going to be a mainstay in my life that had the same name as my kid, that I was more than happy to have big tech kick, give him the boot <laughs> for my own personal, personal reasons. I am planning. We just finished Phantom Toll Booth tonight. It's going to be returned back to the library soon. So that's one that you should uh, on it. Going to do with it. your boy. I love it. The other search for some reason, Ellen DeGeneres, Bright Eyes has three separate videos of Ellen DeGeneres and Josh Groban. <laughs> Two of them are him seeing Total Eclipse of the Heart, them together. Oh, so. Uh, oh no they say they that had that song has the words bright eyes in it turn around bright eyes right right there we go okay i mean that kind of makes sense but that's also it that that's the kind of stuff where you're like her involvement with a band like parquet courts and you know again it goes to that weird selling out phase where it's like okay here's this band you listen to any of their songs they have a lot of like anti-capitalist messages in them and yet they're going to perform on this weird daytime talk show I I don't I I'm not here to I'm not judging I'm not uh, doing anything it's just like it's it's weird. Yeah yeah no it is I actually we'll wind this down in a second but the like the conversation about selling out earlier 
I, I feel that same way. And I probably would end up going on Ellen and just be like, well, I'll just do do whatever I do on Ellen to feel okay about this. Ellen can't tell me what to do or whatever. <laughs> then I'll otherwise I'll do it. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I'd figure out my I'd figure out my justification to do it. But the I read this article, this Bandcamp article, where this writer followed along with the band Dummy. I'd heard about this article like six months ago or whatever, but I never read it. But it was like something kind of controversial. And I didn't know why it was. And I still actually don't 100% know exactly what the like core of what was controversial was. But like, I think it was a lot of bands talking about like, not getting paid enough on the road and not like, it not being a winning proposition, indie band can't survive, blah, blah. And, and what she gets out in the article in a way that was like, I've basically like, it seems like kind of like it's a product of a broken world and a broken system in a way, but like anyone making art is going to be poor. So if you get an opportunity to not be poor while doing it, do what you got to do. Like I, I'm, I'm yeah. easily, easily sympathize with that. But this, this article does, even if I don't necessarily agree with all of it, and honestly, the band that she wrote around with sound like dicks, but I think they know they're dicks. So that's fine. But like, they make a good case for like, this is supposed to be hard, you know, indie bands traveling around. This is supposed yeah. to be hard. It's the point. So like, there's a narrative around the last like five, 10, 15 years that is just like, no, you have to sell. There's no such thing as selling out. Do it. Take your money. Do what you got to do. That's the world we live in now. And it's like, there's a, there's a certain sentiment of like, yeah, don't starve yourself, but also that's probably not like, we probably don't want that narrative to be that ubiquitously everything. Here's my, I'm going to put my old man boomer cap on. Maybe there's too many bands. We don't need this many bands just in general in the world. And in America, just stupid country full of stupid people. Uh, the way we decide things is the free market. And if if you can't make any money being it, it's just like there's certain people who think that society should be set up. They're like, I want to be a painter and everyone should pay me to be a painter. But if we set things up that way, what if we have 100 million painters and nobody wants to dig a fucking ditch? The writer, I think Mariana Timoney, mm -hmm. something that probably saying that wrong, but the writer does a good job of her, like, of placing it in context, like letting them look like assholes in their points, but also just like the larger point of like, whoever said, isn't the whole romantic part of it, like driving around in a fucked up van and like loading right. your shit in and out is never supposed to be that that ignores the nuance of like. Are our club promoters taking your merch money? Are like it, that that ignores the details of what is actually happening, which I don't know those details. Yeah, but like, well, the tension between art and like capitalism is not inherently a bad thing. Like, and that's why people get really tired of these conversations about selling out. It is a tired conversation at this point, but I also think that there needs to be attention there and a talk about like. What is your artistic ideal? Like, if you don't even have an artistic ideal to potentially sell out, then maybe you're not, you know, what? like, yeah, yeah. then you're not just not an interesting artist to begin with, because you're just, that was kind of in Dan Ozzy's book. That's kind of Blink-182, right? Like, they had no ability to sell out because they had no ideal was, or like was, artistic yeah. aspirations besides just being famous musicians. So there's nothing there to sell out. I'd say I'd say that's true, except that they still 
they still liked writing songs and making that music and made music that that people loved. Like it wasn't just pure like get famous commerce. They're a band that like made songs people loved and they loved making them. And that's like if anything, hundred percent. They were they were so uncompromised that it was like selling out just doesn't make a difference. We're just gonna do the same shit. It's just yeah, our no, no, shit no. is it, there's commerce that can be made from it. That's that's what I'm trying to say is like the selling out part comes when there is this tension between like, this is what we want to do and this is what we can make money doing. And for some bands, what you want to do is just profitable. Like there's no, there's no conflict there because it's like, yeah, someone is willing to pay me to do exactly what I want to do. I think the interesting is like, that's just always an interesting choice. It's always interesting. Again, that tension, artistic integrity versus commerce. What's, annoying is is the fan reactions to these things like that almost feels like that that's what's interesting about that book or what's like unique about that time period is this involvement of these sort of like underground scene of people that are really like shaming these bands you know for whatever perceived thing that they're doing what you described about some previous guests talking about on wide awake it's morning there's like a shying away from it as like but but there's no there's no renouncing it as a sellout move and it's not you know it's like it's not higher production quality it's cleaner only in the sense that it just doesn't make as much like fucking ruckus right. but like it, it it managed to be the big one and not be that you know i don't know i think it was like a well-played well-played career move and also just a good album and that's probably helps a lot too I mean, I think you kind of said it earlier too, where there's a part of me that's like, it's not selling out to cut out some like five minute bullshit intro part or like interlude thing. I wanted you to cut those out <laughs> from the last album. So that's like, that's in some ways just giving like the fans what they want. I'm, I know, I know that like I'm wide awake. It's morning is just bait for me because I don't, I skip those. I skip those intro tracks and I skip them while I respect the fuck out of their existence. It's like a good on you as a person who, who would like to just make a good first impression and like assume someone's just going to turn a song off. Like that's, that's cool shit. You know, that's actively suppressing the popularity of your thing. That is cool. But also tell me a 45 second story about an airplane that I can't quite make sense of. And then just get into a really catchy song. I'll take it. Let's go. <laughs> you know? All right. As we say goodbye, the the Rolling Stones have a total mix of, of things in their top five, but they're the Beatles have one record that shows up twice in the top five. Could you guess what Beatles record that is? Abbey road. Yep. Got it. How could I possibly know this? How you could know, I? Yeah. Uh... I mean, I knew, I remember that here comes the sun was the top of it, but I didn't remember that. I just remember us talking about our sort of surprise at like the popularity of that album. I had, we should talk about this more as we like, like just in life. But I I remember thinking as we made the podcast and we like, I feel like we'd knocked revolver down a couple pegs in some way that I felt like it was an act, like some contribution to the world that was like, I thought I loved revolver a lot, but if I'm honest with myself, I like it a lot, but it's not as good as rubber soul. And like a few others, and then we loved uh, Let It Be. And I feel like the documentary gave Let It Be like this real boost. And I was like, we're we're like 
on the like crest of a of a zeitgeist wave on like reassessment yeah. of the Beatles, and now they just released some new like 50 anniversary Revolver thing, and people are just losing their shit over Revolver, and it's all gone. It's all gone. Revolver. Oh, we lost it. We were on the vanguard. Yeah, we Revolver. People, people are are ready for Revolver. And I listened to one song like the it was they're talking about the panning of it because I've been like messing with this like music mixing stuff and man there's some like crazy fucking panning of like instruments on it and so you know you know there's some crazy painting on revolver dr robert yeah what what are we talking about we like revolver i don't even need to it's only pales in comparison to like the literal greatest albums ever conceived yeah but also i only the only argument i need is two words dr robert exactly yeah you can't have the best album of all time if that's a song on there and track one is taxman um, <laughs> which isn't to say taxman's bad but it's not track one on the best album ever no it's not um <laughs> yeah i don't know if you know a band that fits this wide awake phenomenon that we're describing here send it to me at justincox22 at gmail.com and our committee over here will put it under formal review that's justincox22 at gmail.com for that or anything else. Sweet. Right. Well, I think we've was, covered every this was potential, possible angle that we could. Well, thank you, Ryan. And also, uh, Bad Dads, four out of five of uh, Dead Beats album in the, in, on Spotify. Got to go work backwards, people, just because this, you know, it's one super popular album. There's good <laughs> stuff. And <laughs> it was a really giant deep giant career moment. All right, thanks, man. I remember the stupid things, the moon rings, the bracelets and the beads, nickels and dimes, yours and mine. Did you catch in all your